Alright. Good to see you guys tonight. Thank you for coming out. Anybody recognize any differences in the store lately? <laughs> Get a little bare, right? Anyway, we, uh, we're in chapter uh, 3 of Genesis tonight. And uh, we have seen in God's creation how perfect it is. And it's a glorious creation that God had, uh, had made. Perfect in every way. And then in chapter 3, we see quite the change happens. Man is fallen. You see death. You see decay raid into what was such a perfect creation. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Uh, it's only the beginning. It's the beginning of a, a redemptive story. Uh, the redemption saga that we have. No human mind could have come up with this amazing story that uh, that's invented here. I think it's the most glorious story there is. It's probably more glorious than even the creation story, which is incredible in itself. But to redeem these fallen people uh, in this story of divine grace... <clears throat> And in this story, God owes no mercy or grace to anyone, ever. But He has a plan that He did before He even created, before the foundation of the world. And we know He is a very gracious, good God. What a merciful God. So the outworking of this whole plan begins when God confronts Adam with his sin. And we looked at a little bit last week of this temptation. So, you know, you, you kind of have different kinds of uh, scenes of this drama that unfolds. First, you have the creation. And we see that in Genesis 1 and 2. We see the domestic part where you have the garden. And then in chapter 3, you see this scene of temptation and sin. And also then we see the judicial scene, uh, which takes place here in chapter 3, where the judge comes and uh, calls the court. And uh, anyway, Matthew Henry talked about this fall and some of the things that uh, came as a result of it. And he said, man fell from happiness to misery uh, he had favor before, and now he forfeited that grand favor that he had. The likeness of God was now marred and lost. The dominion that he had is now gone. And Adam and Eve saw that their natures were corrupt, evil, depraved. There was disorder as far as their own spirits were concerned. And uh, they now were, uh, because of their disobedience, uh, the honor that they had is now gone. The dignity that they had, uh, they are disgraced. And this is painful when they discover all of these things that happened. It's just endless of the effect that sin had. And uh, chapter 3 of Genesis is one of the most important chapters of the Bible because it tells what happened to man. And man is not getting better Evolution says that, but the Bible says man was perfect in his creation. wasn't glorified yet, but he was a perfect, good part of God's creation. And he got worse. He doesn't get better until we know the story of, of Christ and uh, then glorification.
Anyway, let's uh, take a moment to, to pray. Father, we thank You for this grand redemptive story that we have that even takes place this early as You start revealing Your uh, redemption plan of mankind which was fallen in a moment's time. And that shows how the rest of the race, the human race is. They all are in that same condition that Adam and Eve were as soon as sin happened at that moment. And uh, as we feel it today, uh, we all, um, even though we have become born again, if we're Christians, we have been able to see who Christ is and what uh, our redemption story is. Yet at the same time, we experience sin every day. Whether we sin or not, we see the results of it and the consequences. And uh, of course, we have an ongoing battle with sin. And may we ever be mindful of that. Uh, May we show uh, the person of Christ in our lives through Uh, the power of Your Spirit. And as we study Your Word, that we'd be filled with Your Word, filled with Your Spirit, so that we would honor and glorify the Creator God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, probably be good to start right in verse 1 again. We kind of covered the first six verses last week. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Sin happened. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I am... I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, A woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then we have the uh, prophecy from God what's going to happen there. But we'll we'll take it up to that reading there. Before all of this happened, before sin happened, all this took place right there in that beautiful garden, they knew what good was, but they never knew what evil was. 
wouldn't that have been wonderful never to know evil? Never. They never knew what evil was. Now, God knows good. For one thing, that's His very nature. He is good. Um, He knows evil because it's opposed to His nature. And, of course, uh, Satan was a good picture of that as he opposed God. But um, they came to know evil not from the standpoint of God, but from um, following uh, this creature that tempted them. And now they actually have a nature that will actually love evil and hate good. That's what the nature of man is. So there's a carnal knowledge that Adam and Eve have and that all of mankind has. It's a knowledge of good and evil, and those are painful effects. And um, that's that's what happened. When they came to know good and evil, uh, they did not have it from the standpoint of the way that God knew what it was. So verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loin coverings. They have guilt they know right off the bat that uh, something is not the way that it used to be. From the moment of sin, right at that very moment, Adam and Eve were conscious that there was something seriously wrong and they felt guilt. Never had had it before and now all of a sudden they do. Just like that. And what uh, mankind does today is the same thing that they did. When you have guilt, the thing that you want to do is get rid of it. Now, there is there is a proper way of getting rid of that. That's turning to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and confessing our sin. But that is not the nature of man to do. Not unless God draws him to do that. Man is disobedient now and uh, he will deny that. It was so painful, this, this knowledge of, uh, of evil, that they tried to deny it and... Or at least, you know, cover it up. We see that. They make their own way of doing that. And it's kind of interesting. The greater knowledge that one may have, the more and more the, the greater that knowledge of that people have of the world rather than the things of God, it makes it even more difficult to come to know the true knowledge of self and of God the more people get lost in all the things that the world has to offer in its knowledge. You know, there are books upon books upon books. Now a computer, uh, look at all the stuff because of the Internet uh, that man can learn. It's just endless. It's a, it's just a great thing to learn all these things, but without the knowledge of God and the true knowledge of self, that knowledge will keep you from God. And, and it's, uh, there's a, there can be a pride there. Um, and that's a rebellion against God. About uh, what does it say in John uh, seventeen three? This is eternal life, that they may know Thee. That's what real life is. That's what real knowledge, real wisdom is: is knowing God. Um, the thing that they do, we know, uh, just looking down in the next few verses, is uh, one way that they deal with the guilt as they start blaming others. 
Adam's blaming Eve and Eve is blaming uh, the serpent. There's some truth to that. And then uh, Adam's really kind of blaming God, shifting all the blame. And that's, you know, you have to do something with guilt. And so therefore, um, that's what a natural man does. Uh, I think people today will blame society, for instance. They'll blame maybe the situation that uh, where they were born, where they grew up, the school they went to, the parents that they had, or the, you know, you can go on and on. And society goes along with that. I think even psychology uh, knows that, okay, there is a guilt. Okay, what do we do with it? Uh, well, we can blame it on where they came from, their background. And so, therefore, if they are in the inner city and they do drugs and they're part of uh, gangs and they kill people, it's because of the situation of where they grew up at. And so, you blame it that. And it really isn't their fault. So, therefore, that's how you get rid of guilt. You tell them that it really isn't your fault. And so, therefore, that's what society does to, uh, to cover up with, with the guilt. They have a shame here. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Uh, there was never any shame before. At the end of chapter 2, matter of fact, it's a beautiful verse. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And that's the way that uh, it was intended at that moment. And uh, so what does man do to get rid of shame? Well, he conceals it. He conceals. He, he tries to cover. He um, He will make makeshift attempts here, Adam and Eve do, for their clothes. It's uh, almost rather funny in, in some moment if it weren't so sad. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. Fig leaves. How big are fig leaves at that time? I wonder. Was this a big, huge fig tree? or What's the size of fig leaves today? <laughs> Whatever. How do they even know how to sew? That's pretty interesting. Put these together somehow. They had, you know, they had quite the thinking there. Where'd this thread? The line. There's a lot of information that's left out. That's true. This is this happens quickly. This this chapter three things. I mean, you get sin. I mean, you get temptation. You get sin. Uh, you get uh, the guilt and the, and the shame and the fear, and you also get God coming to them, uh, judging, but He's also a very gracious God. We get the prophecy, uh, really the Proto-Evangelium or the Messiah. I mean, in chapter 3, you just get a, a great glimpse of this whole redemptive story, just in a few amount of verses. But there are a lot of things that aren't detailed for us that we can explain, and we've seen that throughout uh, the first few chapters here already anyway. But what a what an attempt. I, I think it's interesting. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves, they, they made themselves loin coverings. Now it's interesting, God has already provided for them everything that they needed before. Isn't that interesting? And now they're trying to provide something for themselves. But they still have to take from God, don't they? Still have to take His leaves. What an idea. They didn't go to him and and admit their sin. Well, does anybody do that from their nature? From their own nature? Does any man want to admit their sin? They knew something was wrong. 
They're guilty. They're shameful here. And um, man will use any disguise that he has to cover up his shame. And whether it be um, drunkenness or uh, adultery, uh, you go on and on. Man uh, sometimes will lift it up. He gets so bad, as in Romans uh, 1, uh, by the time that you get to the end of that, he is thinking how... How, hey, this is great. He's bold. And, and matter of fact, he puts it on others and shows how great his sin is. But most of the time, uh, until man gets hardened that way, he, <clears throat> he's, he tries to cover it up. Kind of interesting, our society today in homosexuality, uh, they're flying the flags, having the parades, and showing how great it is. But that's after many, many years. Used to, they would uh, be hiding it and nobody would ever know. Now it's up front where everybody would see it and it would be shown on TV and they're, they're putting it out there where everybody will see that this is uh, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to a society. What a shameful thing. But that's what man does. Hey, did I see a hand? Oh, Barb. Um, I was reading somewhere this week. I didn't remember what it was. That like in Adam and Eve's attempts when they put their fig leaves on as you know a feeble attempt, just like how now um, we try to depend on ourselves, and then you know God comes along and makes them like tunics instead, which shows that you know what God has to offer is much better. Much better, and and uh, they represent their their own works before God. And uh, is he pleased with their own works? You know, I see a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, I think some ideas of how, how that goes there, Barb. Yeah, good examples. Um, I think they're looking uh, at the outside of things first of all. There's there's an inward problem that they have. Uh, here they are trying to cover up, uh, making this makeshift attempt. Uh, a lot of times, I think we we cover up um, what we really are to people, uh, maybe on on the outside, but there's there's an inside there, and sometimes we make ourselves appear to be something else that we're really not. Of course, I think that would probably be a, a word for that called hypocrisy. You know, an actor that puts up a a mask and makes himself act out a part that he's not. Um, so anyway, um, they try to make them look good on the outside when their problem is here on the inside. They're not coming to God confessing their sin, and they're not repenting here. They have a different kind of nature. Uh, not that they had ever repented from sin, because they never sinned. But can you imagine how awful our society would be if we didn't carry around our masks? <laughs> Give an example just for curiosity. They're very important. They're functional. It makes it if, makes it look better. We right? all, you know, even oh. if you're born again Christians, if we were all who we really are, it would not look pretty. Well, you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. What is it in in your? <laughs> Speak for yourself. In our pop psychology, they would say, oh, if you have something that you want to 
yell about and get mad about, just let it out. You know, and there's the the extreme opposite, right? All you're going to have there is what? Fiasco. Uh, Some people feel better that, okay, well, society is this way anyway, and you see it on the movies, you see it on television, and that's just the way they are. So, therefore, because society is this way, uh, they'll blame it on a corporate sin. And so, therefore, because if it's a corporate sin, then it doesn't make me look so bad. You know, there's a, But the thing is, there's an individual corruption that happens to everybody. Society is sinful, because individuals are sinful. The government is sinful <laughs> because the people that are the leaders are sinful. Uh, sometimes people will take time and say, well, you know what? If it's enough time, it'll finally cancel it out. Well, sometimes people can overlook things after, you know, after about 30 years, you know, maybe it'll they'll forget about it and it won't be a big deal and we can laugh about it. And the only thing is with God, sin is not eradicated except for through Christ. Okay. Only Christ purifies sin. That, I might have the wrong name here. Rebecca who told um, Jacob to go go away and give him some time, basically, Esau. So, you know, like she was kind of a time thing there the way she worded it. Yeah, yeah. How how often that uh, what do we you know it's the things we do with sin? <laughs> I think of First uh, John one seven and uh, you know, great memory verse First John one nine. It's so simple, so basic, but of course unless one is Christian uh, is a Christian and uh, driven by God's Spirit, they they don't like to do that. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, here we uh, go with Adam and Eve. Um, They are not confessing. And uh, but they they recognize the guilt, they recognize the shame here, and so they do their own thing. And of course, when God comes on the scene and they know He's there, then they <clears throat> do even more. They run, uh, and that's a nature of man too, isn't he? He runs from God. When uh, you know what's really interesting here, they develop a fear. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They they looked for the shrubs and the trees and tried to get behind there to get away from God. Now, isn't that interesting? You think they've ever done that before? Why did that happen? Why do they have fear? They know something's wrong. When we sin... Even the most tenderest voice, which is God's voice, when we sin, we don't want to be around that voice or that still small voice. We don't want to be thinking about the presence of God when we've sinned unless we're convicted and we know that we need to confess. We need to keep a short list of sins. I mean, as soon as we know we have sinned, we want to go repenting and confessing. 
we would desire that, but that doesn't always happen. But uh, I think they're very frightened. Think they've ever been frightened before? It's the first time they're ever frightened. They're frightened of God. I think it's a pathetic scene that is happening. Man is pathetic. They're petrified when they hear this voice. Why? It's never happened before. Um, look in Psalm forty-four twenty-one. Of course, this was written many years later, so they couldn't refer to the Psalms. But they kind of knew God to a degree. I wonder if they knew this. Would not God find this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. He knows the secrets of the heart. He knows the inside. <laughs> there they are physically trying to run away from God. That was Psalm 44.21. Or you can think of Psalm 139. A great chapter that's really used for uh, against abortion a lot of times. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go? Or where can I flee from your presence? It's like, hey, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. And on and on. Nobody can hide from God. And they knew that God was something more than them. You have to wonder what's going through their mind. Do they really think that they can get away from Him? You remember Jonah? Jonah tried to run away from God. Get as far away as he possibly could. It's like, how can you get away from God? The thing is, I think he knew better, but maybe God would leave him alone. He got away there. Right. Yeah. If things aren't the way that I like. Maybe if I uh, if I change them on my own. Uh, uh, yeah. Always working on our own. Anyway. Um, where can I go from His presence? Ah, I think of Hebrews 4.13. And there is no creature hidden from His sight. All things are opened and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. (laughs) Everything. He knows everything. He knows it before we even think it. Isn't that amazing? What a God we have. I think this uh, progression that's happening right here in Genesis 3 is what man does. It pictures all of us without Christ and even in our own struggles with Christ. But at least we have hope there. But a person without Christ is not going to pursue God. They're not going to ask for forgiveness and confess their sin and really mean that, repent, unless God has given them that gift to do. Um, We know in Genesis 6, as it develops along, we see what happens with the rest of mankind because of the corruption that happens. In verse 5 it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth 
and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is speaking of his nature. That's what his mind dwelled upon. Sin. It was not thinking about the good God, but about himself. and uh, It was on evil continually. That is quite a verse dealing with uh, the nature of man. Go to Job 15. Many verses in the Bible that uh, talks about the depravity of man. Talking about uh, man here. Verse 14. Job 15.14 What is man that he should be pure? Or he who is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is detestable and corrupt, man who drinks iniquity like water. Eliphaz there is speaking to Job. He's talking about Job, I guess, presuming uh, too much in that area. But uh, there's truth here, even though some of the counsel and advice is... um, done in in a wrong way, in a wrong manner, but still yet we we see truth. They knew what man was like. The very nature of man. Of course, you go into the New Testament, one of of our favorite verses that deals with this is Ephesians 2. After you see in Ephesians 1 what God does in His redemption plan and chooses, predestines us, puts us into that and then he prays for us and then in chapter 2 he tells us what we were like and you were dead you were dead you can't respond when you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature boy does that say it children of wrath even as the rest covers everybody but God verse (laughs) 4 the good news but God boy aren't you thankful for verse 4 what would we we do if verse 3 ended and that was it (laughs) but he says that's what you were so there was a change in these Ephesian uh, believers now. But they indulged in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Our nature, the whole nature. Not only did we sin, but we were sinners. That's our nature, right? Um, you remember your old lifestyle. You remember the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Aren't you glad you have been delivered from that kind of nature, that bondage, and thought it was good? <laughs> even though we knew something was still kind of not satisfactory. So we wanted more to satisfy those needs. And then we wanted more because that other one didn't quite satisfy. Then you have to turn to uh, Romans 3. My, When we were in Romans, it seemed like forever to get out of the depravity of Man, do you remember that? And when we finally got into chapter four, it was like, or into chapter three, and then into chapter four, 
Ephesians 2 has three verses and boom, but God, right? Uh, Romans 3. Of course, it's a, it's always a good one to appeal to as far as one needing to know about their depravity. Verse 10, as it is written. Uh, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Uh, not all, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That's everybody. As is written, and he just has a barrage of Old Testament passages here showing the evilness of man, the condition of man, and it's just like what was said back in Genesis 6, or what we looked at in Job. There is none righteous, and this is going to come right out of uh, Psalms. There is none righteous, not even one. Well, somebody said, well, yeah, yeah, I know this guy, he's pretty righteous. He's righteous. Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Now, that's, that's the key one tonight here. Adam and Eve weren't seeking for God. He had to go seek them. Oh, that's, that's pretty good for the sovereign God, isn't it? Had it been their desire, they would not ever wanted to see Him again. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none. You notice the constant none. None who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So, (laughs) very clear, our Romans 3 shows that... uh, all of mankind is in that condition. And it is uh, doubly, triply said. Constantly, he says through there, there's none who uh, is righteous. I have to think of Romans 8. It shows that man cannot please God. Man will not. He doesn't want to. Uh, Romans 8, verse 7. You got it. Because, uh, yeah, but in, uh, and we'll go to 7.18. In, in Romans 8, verse 7, but I'm glad you said 7 because that's where we want to go. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And get this. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if people say that they can make a decision to follow Christ, uh, Romans 8 here says they can't do that. They're not able to do it. It's impossible. They cannot do it. They will not do it. They don't want to do it. Now go to our Romans 7. Verse 18, right Penny? For I know that nothing good dwells in me. As far as the flesh. He'll say later, the, 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 that is in my flesh, the members. Uh, uh, nothing good here. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Two different interpretations of this. Not trying to get that into the night, but um, uh, on, on one side, uh, you'll say that this is, this is an unbeliever in chapter 7. And then uh, others, Martin Lloyd-Jones um, 
will will take uh, that view, and then others will say that it is a believer who is having the battle in the flesh. Ongoing battle, but whatever it is, this is true either way you look at it. And as far as I'm concerned, myself, there's nothing good here. You know, there's nothing good dwelling here. And uh, so when people still want to come up and try to bring something good about themselves, they're denying the whole thing that Adam and Eve did, too. They're denying this guilt, this shame. They're trying to cover it up. But uh, the Gospel says uh, they can't seek God. They will not seek God. Nothing good there. Uh, You know what? It also tells us, going back to Genesis 3, okay, there's man's condition. But look at the nature of God. I think it's incredible. He's such a good God. He's a God that could have come storming from heaven, could have had a bolts of lightning come down and just strike all around him and just scare him to death. You know, not hit him, but just, you know, come real close. I mean, thunder and, and you know, the, the trumpet sounds that were coming at Mount Sinai, you know, when the law was being given. I mean, that was a scary, frightening place, and it was supposed to be. But God doesn't do it that way here. He, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They came to the garden rather than descending in a spectacular show of anger. And he could have done that. And he, he's, it's like he's walking here uh, in a persona. is putting this in a human language. However, uh, they had some kind of communication with him. He, you know, he's not running. I'm going to catch him. You know, he's, he's real calm about this. It's the cool of the day, which is, a, I think, uh, an idea of this is a pleasant time of the day. Not that any part of the day was not pleasant. But maybe during the, the there's the heat of the of the daytime. Maybe there was a little bit more sun out. But it, it gets nighttime and it'll get dark. But it's definitely a pleasant time. Um, it's it's at a time when really man shouldn't have been fearful at all. He'd never been fearful. And so God is. They they hear the sound. Must be familiar with that. He's walking. It's cool today. It's pleasant. And they go hide. Never hid before. Now they're hiding. He didn't come suddenly. He's just walking along, however that may mean, and they're hiding. <laughs> now, I think this is a pretty good indication of the depravity of man because of the inability uh, to stop sinning. As they go running, uh, that's try- trying to hide from God is, is sin. It's not pursuing Him. Uh, and I think what it really comes down to, I, th- I think a, a good idea of, of what um, depravity is, or at least um, something that would uh, kind of picture it a little bit, is that it's avoiding repentance. Man here avoids repentance. Even when confronted by God, you will see that same pattern. Uh, man will do anything and everything to deceive, um, cover it up, whatever it is, uh, to evade, start shifting the blame, whatever it is, he doesn't want to repent. Do you see the nature of man just from Adam and Eve? Do you see them right away saying, oh my, look what we've done. 
you know, we must go to God and we must confess this. This is horrible. We, we, we disobeyed. Do you ever see that from the very outset here? Because of this nature, they can't. It's going to take God and His movement. Uh, they, man doesn't want to acknowledge his sin. That's the problem. That's the problem. Can't can't see that. They experienced the sin. I mean, they felt it. Justice was taking a belt and he was whipping it around the air and, and he told him that's not a good idea. You ought not do it. Pretty soon Malachi came from the other room. <laughs> Malachi got it and he goes, Jeff, I have to tell that when he went in there and there, there was a belt laying there. <laughs> anyway, somebody was hiding. Mom had called. Nobody came. <laughs> it kind of sounds familiar. It was dead quiet in the other room. And when he came, those little guys can give some pretty good illustrations of what man is like, can't they? They knew they were subject to judgment. <laughs> now, in this case, they were told that they would die. Now, like, and then we were talking last week, they haven't ever seen death. What, what does death mean? Uh, anyway... Uh, in the day that you eat this, you will die. And God is so gracious, you know, He kept them physically alive. But there was something else that happened, though, too. But in spite of the shame here, in spite of the guilt that they have, they have all that. In spite of the lust that they have here and their corrupt thoughts, rather than repent, they try to evade. Isn't that the common thing? Isn't that the natural thing that man does? Depravity is a condition when the sinner refuses to repent, he cannot repent, and so he uh, runs from God. Now, atheists, they say there's no God, and that's a pretty uh, comfortable thing for them to do. They're running from God by saying He doesn't exist, so they put Him out of mind and out of sight and such when you really know better. Romans tells us about that. You're not my fault. Right, right. You you don't really exist. (laughs) So they may feel the shame. They feel that. They may feel this guilt. But they really need to face the corruption that they're in. And they can make all sorts of resolutions and we're not going to do this again and such. But um, Romans 1.32 says they are worthy of death. So there they are. What do they do? They hide from God. I think that is a the essence or a very great illustration of the action of depravity. Depravity is is part of that nature, but people show it by hiding from really who he really is. Since cannot stop sinning, then the sinner can't stop all the passions and uh, all the lust. And so they continue to hide from God and whatever they do. Uh, people will redefine God. That's how they, they hide from God. Rather than take it as what is presented in Scripture, they make up God in their own minds. Uh, I like the God of the New Testament. I'm a Christian, but I don't like the Old Testament because that God there is a different kind of God. <laughs> wow. Have you heard that? 
Somebody ever heard that? Wow. Heard it quite a few times. I've heard it from people who confess to be Christians. I don't like that God. It's the same God, isn't he? It's the same God. Um, anyway, that's idolatry. That's making God out to be something he's not or... Yeah. yeah. Well, they usually say that the God of the Old Testament is vengeful, the God of the New Testament is gracious and merciful. But then, if you look at the Old Testament, the word mercy is in there over four times more. <laughs> That's good, good insight. How many more times? Over four times. Ah, fascinating. Isn't that interesting? Yes, Barb. The the Gospels and such, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yet, you know, we we look right here in Genesis three, and we see how great and good God is. We see His grace. We see mercy. It's incredible what he does. In Nehemiah 9.17, you have a confession of sin here. Now, in chapter 8, remember Ezra reading the law? I think Ryan mentioned last week uh, that the people, what? They stood and read the Word of God there? <laughs> reading, reading the law. Now, in 9, I think it's verse 17... Yeah, it's about God's character here. They refused to listen, did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. There's the God of the Old Testament. People who deserved judgment. People who uh, deserved judgment tenfold, hundredfold, thousandfold. And here it is. God is gracious and compassionate and merciful or loving kind. Didn't forsake them. Wow, that God has a love that people can't understand. What a good God. So, anyway, they are experiencing evil. They experienced it. They're hiding from God. And it's kind of interesting. Rather than repent and seek God's forgiveness, people will hide. That's why I always realize that repentance is a gift that's given from God. And that's biblical. That's scriptural. Grace is, is a gift. It's, it all has to come from God. And so right here in Genesis 3, you can see the sovereign grace of God. They didn't come after Him seeking Him out even when they knew Him before. They're running from Him. That is the nature of man. So that's why Genesis 3 is so key to understanding what happened to mankind. 
And we don't go back to the innocence thing and the choice that Adam and Eve made. Uh, We don't have that choice. We're already in a nature that hates God, doesn't want God, doesn't seek after God. Sovereign grace. Beautiful, isn't it? There comes God. Then, uh, verse 9, the Lord God, and that's Yahweh, called to the man. How would you like to be Adam here? <laughs> you're hiding. You're, you're crouching behind the trees underneath the brushes. And there you are. You're holding on to Eve. And you're going, what's he going to do? No, they're scared to death. And then you hear the voice. Where are you? Now, you know, we know that God is not saying, I don't know where they're at. They're going to hide and seek. How am I ever going to find them in this? This is a jungle in here. You know, Look at all the trees. He knows exactly where they're at, right? They're not going to be able to uh, escape out of this deal. There's no escape. Yeah. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. I wonder where he learned that I wonder where he even learned that word, afraid. Isn't that interesting? Because I was naked. So I hid myself. Myself. I did this. <laughs> this is what you did. Everything good that we get is from God. Everything. And of course, you think of uh, James one seventeen. Every perfect gift good and perfect gift it comes all comes from God it's all His um, thing is um, if we run from God we're not going to have good we're going to have misery and it's going to continue and things will continue to get worse and I think of uh, is that your clock? think of uh, the prodigal <laughs> what's that? Playoffs? No, sorry. (laughs) Okay. If we run from God, we're going to have misery. That's as simple as it is. That's that's. It's just going to mount up. It's going to be worse. The prodigal son. What happened with him? He, you know, he did his own thing, and um, he finally realized. Go to Luke 15. I guess we're going to have to close on this. Here I was concerned, but I don't have enough information. I got to get more stuff. Luke 15, verse 13. We're spent not many days later. The younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. There he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, so he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up, go to my father, and will say to him, 
Father, I have what? Sinned against heaven and in your sight. He knew who he sinned against right off the bat. It's God. It starts with him. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Well, did you see how the misery increased? You know, at first it was great, but then it just got worse and worse, and he couldn't even get the, the, the swine's food. You know, I mean, a, what a terrible condition he was living. But all the good comes from God, but man does his own thing, and he makes himself miserable. only thing is, most people that are miserable don't even know they're miserable, and they're doing just all sorts of crazy stuff. They're destroying themselves, destroying their body, everything, and with without some kind of knowledge that they can get out of this bondage that they don't know they're in, they're going to continue and it's going to mount up in more misery. But he came to his senses. wonder how he got his senses. (laughs) The Lord gave him some wisdom there, didn't he? You know, another thing out of this, and and as we go further uh, through this Genesis 3, Even despite all this, God still loves us and He still provides for us. Even when we were sinners, before He brought us to Him, that He provided for us not only our physical needs, but you know all the needs that we we had to have. And He was watching us during that time, even when we were sinners who hated Him (laughs) and running from Him and hiding, doing these kind of things like Adam and Eve. That... uh, That's amazing. Even when we run away. You think of um, Hosea, the story of Hosea. And God tells him to take this wife who's a harlot. What an incredible thing for God to tell him to do. And then to buy her out of the situation that she's in. And then she goes out after all these lovers. She didn't value the true love that came from Hosea. And there he buys her out of that situation even when she had done all those evil things it's a picture of what God did for us I think it's immense the grace that he has lavished upon us and we sit here tonight just realizing where he's brought us from when we were running from God what a God huh this is all about God really Yeah, you say yeah it's the sin of Adam and Eve and it's depravity yeah, but even more beautiful is God. And, then, and of course, as we progress, we see His redemption story unfold. And in, by the time you get into chapter 3 of Genesis, you already get the Gospel. With such a horrendous sin, you say, well, it's just one little act. Why would God do that? Well, he doesn't wink at sin. Well, it doesn't seem that evil. God said there's only one thing. (laughs) We all would have done it. And so therefore, we're delivered from our nature that we were once in. Anybody have anything to, to add there?